Ducks fans. Are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast with your hosts, Mike Walters and Eddie Jones. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Mike Walters, along with my co-host, Eddie Jones. And we're going to get you caught up on the last couple games this week. Uh, the Ducks played the Penguins and the Kings again. And we uh, saw the Ducks win both of these games, so we'll go into that. We'll also talk about uh, Andrew Cogliano coming back. And the fact that Dustin Brown wasn't suspended uh, is a big topic of discussion as it related to the uh, Cogliano play and some of the other hits around the league that Eddie and I have talked about on the last show. Uh, and we've got tons of fan questions to get to. But... Let's get to some of these games, Eddie. Uh, the Ducks, the very first one, they played the Penguins. And this one uh, ended up being a wild game. It, it looked like uh, you know the Penguins started out okay in this one. Uh, the Ducks then went crazy in the second period, scoring all these goals. And busting out, you know, into a, a uh, four to one lead, and then the Penguins battled back in the third period uh, to make it interesting. But the Ducks ended up pulling this one out. Uh, pretty wild game. We saw Casse uh, play a big role again. You know, he had a fantastic goal in the second period. Uh, Raquel, as we, you and I have talked about, playing well again, and Henrique too on that that third line that you and I'll discuss. But uh, the Ducks ended up pulling this one out, Eddie. Uh, pretty exciting game. Um, it went back and forth, especially in that second and third period. Yeah, it was a really exciting game. I mean, it was end-to-end hockey for, for pretty much the entire game, and especially in the beginning of the game as well. And, and obviously Pittsburgh is, is one of the fastest teams in the NHL, and it's why they're back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. But, you know, the, the Ducks did a, a really good job of, of matching that speed, and not just matching it, but neutralizing Pittsburgh's speed in this game. And, and you know, that was something we were critical of in, in the game against Colorado, is the the Ducks defense just couldn't deal with Colorado's speed and, and specifically Nathan McKinnon as well, and, and they did a good job of, of coming back and, and fixing the issues from that game in this one against the Penguins, and, and it, it it proved to be successful. I mean, it, they made it a little bit scary in the uh, third period uh, with uh, the Penguins getting two power play goals, but no, I, it, all in all, it was a good effort. And, and again, you've got the Henrik Kasha and uh, Richie line that came out and, and was just great uh, again in this one. And they've been a, a real success as of late for the Ducks and giving them a lot more consistency and depth in scoring. So I think it was a good way to start. Uh, I mean, the Penguins obviously struggling. Um, they've got some issues in net with, with Matt Murray having some personal issues to deal with. So they had Tristan Yari starting this one. But, yeah, I, I think it was a great win and, and a good way to start the homestand. Yeah, the Ducks uh, in that second period really, uh, you know, went on fire there. Um, like we talked about that that third line, uh, Henrique had a goal, Kasha had a goal, Richie had an assist. Uh, we had talked about, you know, Rich trying to pick up his play. Uh, we've talked about, you know, the Ducks lineup and moving players around. And really, uh, if you look at the lines, I mean, obviously Cogliano um, comes back, not in this game, but the game against the Kings. But you have that second line of Cogliano, Kessler, and Silverberg. And now you have this third line, Eddie. So you really got these two lines are, are the solid, um, you know, forward lineup for the Ducks, uh, as we see, you know, going forward here with some big games, obviously playing the Kings and then uh, the Sharks, too. Yeah, and that was something we talked about almost a month ago. And, and with everybody coming back, you've obviously got always pretty much going to have that Kessler, Cogliano, Silverberg line that's going to be together. And then we had saw the success that Getzlaff and Raquel were going to have. And then it was from there is who's going to go with them and, and who's going to form that third line. And, and we had a bunch of speculation and who's going to go where. And, and you know, it's kind of settled in Henrique, Kasha, and Richie on this third line. 
I mean, it's really brought up the game of Nick Ritchie, like you said, and, and you know, it was evident in this game. It has been evident in the games they've been together so far. Uh, they just seem to gel really well. You know, Ritchie has upped his game. Henrik's continued to be good. Kasha has continued to be one of the Ducks' most productive forwards. I mean, he had two breakaways in this one. He almost scored on the second one as well. He hit the post. So it's just been great to, to have that chemistry and, you know, finally have everybody working. I think the only thing you might want to look at, and you mentioned this to me as well, is, is the only one really struggling is Corey Perry. He just doesn't seem to necessarily fit on that top line not that he's doing horrible but when you you know when you're paying a guy over eight million dollars you're expecting a certain level of production and it's just been a little bit disappointing from there but but other than that having that consistency consistency in that chemistry is definitely important yeah the ducks uh like we talked about they took out the penguins and then in between the ducks going to play the kings the kings played the penguins um the next night and in that game uh, Dustin Brown uh, cross-checked uh, Schultz into the boards face first. He ended up getting a major penalty. And then it was uncertain whether or not at that time if Brown was going to be eligible to play in the Ducks-Kings uh, game. Uh, we were waiting for the news, and then player safety came out and said that they fined him the maximum under the CBA. And then, of course, uh, everybody went nuts again. Eddie, which we expected. I mean, we were upset too because we thought for sure Brown was going to be suspended. He wasn't going to play. Uh, you saw all kinds of people talking about this. Uh, you know, Bob McKenzie, of course, one of the biggest, if not the biggest name in hockey, mentioned it. Ray Ferraro was out there. We asked Tamu about it again. Uh, you know, all these people came out and were in shock. So, something that was planned uh, kind of before the game. Uh, my buddy that runs, uh, you know, Refuse Suck over there, we talked about it, and he ended up coming up with some signs, uh, the uh, hashtag 831 signs, and also the suspend Perro signs. And uh, he ended up going to the game early and handing those out to a whole bunch of people, which it worked out really, really good if you saw some of the photos. And I know a lot of the fans came early, which was awesome on your part, had those signs ready. Uh, we posted the, uh, or uh, my buddy posted the video of the fans coming out. We retweeted it. So if you missed that, that was on there too. And it was a, just a really good effort, I, I, I thought, overall by the fans. And then, of course, the Ducks organization had a video, too, uh, attributing Cogliano. So I thought that was a really good part uh, of this you know, whole thing of this game, that what came out of it. Of course, the streak got stopped you know, only by suspension, which, I mean, we've gone over it several times. But the Ducks ended up playing the Kings in this game. And it was a different game than the one that we saw from before, Eddie. There wasn't you know, the three fights in a row in the beginning of the game. Uh, there wasn't all that kind of craziness going on. You know, there was no scoring in this game till the third period. Um, it looked like this game was maybe going to go to overtime. You know, who who was going to get a goal? That finally the Ducks do get one. The Kings answer back, and then uh, you know Kessler, the Kingslayer, gets uh, the tip in the game-winning goal, and the Ducks pull this one out two to one. Eddie it was a more, um, I would say, you know, more defensive, tight-checking game. You know, we talked about them playing the Penguins playing speed game and then in this game they got more in the grinding type game and they were able to pull this one out by one goal yeah it was almost like they were told too that uh, none of the stuff that happened last game is gonna is gonna fly in this game and you, know, you kind of saw that with only six penalty minutes in, in this game and, and not a lot of of uh, action going on but yeah i think it was an important win i mean we talked about how these games and, and tonight's game as well are going to be important in the ducks push to to you know, move up in the Pacific Division standings, and obviously the Kings losing this one have now lost six straight, which is important for the Ducks because you look at the teams around them right now in, in Colorado and Calgary and Dallas, those teams just keep winning. 
So the Ducks are going to have to try and move into that third spot in the Pacific Division, and getting important wins like that is definitely important. But yeah, you know, you mentioned the fact that uh, the fans came out and supported Cogliano. I think that's something we expected. He, he's he's somewhat of a fan favorite, and, and everybody kind of rallied around him, especially not just because of him losing the streak and having the streak, but with all the things going on with the Brown hit and the Giordano hit, and the fact that they didn't end up working out in, in you know in Cogliano's favor in a sense. I think everybody just rallied around him, and it was it was great to see. Yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, you know, the Ducks won. They also got to, you know, do that. Uh, the fans and the organization, you know, show how much they care about Cargano and his streak, which we still think it, 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 you know, is allowed to continue because he wasn't sick, he wasn't injured. Uh, we know that the league won't count it, but whatever. We're going to still go with it. But, you know, I think the biggest part here is everybody, if you're a Ducks fan, you're just upset all the way around, though, because you see – what's happened now with some of these little hits and you and I talked about the Giordano hit. We saw the Brown one and it's kind of weird the way that some of the stuff has gone down because players have gotten suspensions or excuse me, have gotten uh, five minute penalties and then no suspensions. Then Cogliano gets a two minute and then he gets a suspension. It's, it's almost like, you know, we had of course fan questions about player safety and all that, but Eddie, it's kind of weird. It's almost like if you, if you get that five minute major, then um, you know, are you going to not get a suspension now? I mean, it's just kind of weird the way, at least this last week or so, some of these um, uh, plays have worked out. Yeah, like it, it'd be something that I'd have to look into more, but I, I mentioned it on Twitter as well. Is it, it just seems lately, at least with these last three incidents, that uh, a player receiving game misconduct has some kind of bearing on the discipline that they'll receive after the fact. And, and it might, might not have anything to do with it. It, it just the last three incidents that have been up for suspension just kind of have worked out that way and, and I'm not sure if, if that's how it goes or not but you know an interesting thing that that Hayward mentioned on the broadcast uh, in, in the Kings game he said that that player history and and if there was an injury on the play it only comes into to the decision after they decide if the hit warrants supplemental discipline or not and I think that was something interesting it's something I didn't know for sure, and you know, we we talked about it immensely in the last podcast. You know, the fact that Cogliano has no history of, of any kind of incident like this or suspension, and, and guys like Giordano and Brown do, and Cogliano's the guy who ends up with the suspension, and, and Giordano gets off with no discipline, and, and Brown comes off with a fine. So I think that's something that kind of adds to to the decision, kind of gives it a little bit of clarity in a sense, but. Still, when you, you look at the hits, you look at the Giordano hit, you look at the Brown hit as well, um, they're you know arguably just as bad, and if not in some cases worse, uh, than Coglano's hit. So it's, it still is disappointing that none of them were suspended in, uh, other than Coglano. Yeah, I mean, if you look at those plays, I, I mean, it's unfortunate because a lot of people are asking questions. Uh, about how it's decided and why is it the Ducks player gets suspended and then these guys all get nothing. You know, it seems like the league is out against the Ducks and, and everything like that, which I don't necessarily believe is entirely true. But when you see stuff like this, I mean, it's it's hard to to argue the other way because the, the Cagliano play, like we talked about, you go back and you watch it. You see Kempe try to get out of the way. He brings his own stick up, which hits Cagliano's shoulder and then goes into his face. You know, kind of, you know, incidental 
action right there. It wasn't necessarily Cogliano hitting him, um, at least in that part of it. I mean, obviously he did hit him, but the way that the stick landed was just really weird. Where these other plays, you can tell there's a lot more intent behind them. I mean, when you've got a guy on his knees facing the boards, you hit him face first in the boards. I mean, there's <laughs> there's not really much you can argue. And I even heard Kings fans, too, were shocked that Brown only got a fine. So it's one of those weird situations, too, because usually Kings fans and Ducks fans, you know, we go at it, we argue and all that kind of stuff. But I saw a big – I mean, there's some that still said, oh, fine, whatever. But I saw a big chunk, Eddie, of Kings fans that were shocked Brown didn't get suspended. So you know it's pretty bad when your own fan base is going, oh, we didn't get suspended? Well, we got lucky. I mean, <laughs> that kind of tells you when, you know, the situation goes down that it's not just our fan base and, and you know, all the other players around the league, but it's everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you talk about Ray Farrar, Bobby Kenzie, Kings fans in general, other players. We saw Boschman, uh, Timo as well. Just surprised, one, that Coglano was suspended, and two, that Brown wasn't suspended. And yeah, I mean, it just, again, we talked about this uh, in length on the last podcast with inconsistency and in decisions. And you know, even the fact that now we know that uh, injury and player history is considered after um, that the hit is, or is deemed either suspendable or a fine or whatever, it still is a confusing decision. Uh, I mean, maybe Cognano's suspe- uh, hit does warrant a suspension, but if you look at the Giordano hit, you know, he's looking at Aho the entire way, sees him, still goes in and, and hits him in the head, and, and Aho is injured on the play. And, and, you know, they deem the hit was not worthy of a fine or a suspension. So then they can't even look at player history or an injury. And, and you know, when you look when you look at that, it's, it's why do they not consider these things all equal? Uh, you know, a guy gets injured on the play, and you have a history of hitting a guy. Why does that get considered after the hit is deemed necessary for a suspension or not? I mean, I think they should all be considered equal. And, and, and it's the same thing with, with the Brown play as well. I mean, he cross-checks a guy from behind who's on his knees face first into the boards. They don't warrant it uh, of suspension. And, and he ends up getting a max fine, which is $10,000, which is nothing for these guys. And then right. you Kings fans setting up a GoFundMe to, to, try, and, <laughs> to try and pay his fine. But... No, I mean, it's just, I think they should all kind of go into it together. I get their process, and and it kind of eliminates any bias or anything towards the player or or the play itself. It separates them them all from each other. But, you know, at some point, you've got to consider all those things together because they all play a role uh, in if a player should be suspended or not. Yeah, and if you hadn't listened to our last show, you can go back there. Eddie and I really went into depth on this. The only last thing I'm going to add on this one before we get to all your fan questions, because we've got a lot of good um, hockey questions, is you know Eddie and I, we, we pretty much think that there's a two-step process to fixing uh, or at least making NHL player safety better. And the first one is determining what plays need to be reviewed. And Eddie and I talked about this. We talked about major penalties and penalties involving head contact. If the player safety really wants to get on board, show being impartial and not being, you know, Anaheim against the world, so to speak, or, or any other team against the world, so to speak, is if these plays are at least warranted these automatic reviews, then guess what? Players are going to be on notice. Hey, if I hit someone in the head, I'm going to get reviewed and I may get fined or I may get suspended. And I do think that that's going to help. And the bigger concern, of course, is players' health and the concussions, as we've talked about with hockey and, of course, you know, football, they're watching that as well. So I think that's one 
area, at least that they can get it in the right direction, Eddie, because right now so many people are like, well, why is this play reviewed? Why is that play not reviewed? There is no rhyme or reason. It makes absolutely no sense. Then the second part of this is when they do review the play, like you said, they can't wait until after something go, oh, well, now we're going to take into account this or that. I think that's complete BS. They need to come up with a, a system or a set of guidelines that they're going to look at. Some of those things are going to be, A, was the player injured? B, what was the intent of the player that caught, you know, was it an incidental contact? Did he intend to hit him? Like, you know, by the nature of the play, which you can't always tell the intent, but you can at least get some idea of, of the contact. Uh, the other issue, as you mentioned, is, um, you know, prior uh, suspensions and fines and things that have happened before. What is their history? What's that player's history before? So those are some things, you know, that's not an exhaustive list. Those are just some things, I think, to get it started. But I think, Eddie, if they at least get, the, you know, the review process uh, figured out and then the factor, so to speak, of what determines a suspensionable play, at least, you know, it's not going to be a perfect system. We know that. But at least it'll be in a better, you know, um, you know, set of uh, uh, guidelines to go by. Because right now, you know, a lot of people are asking me questions. I know they're asking you questions. They're like, why do they do this? Why do they do that? And there is no answer. I, I can't give you a valid answer, unfortunately. And, and I know you're probably sitting there going, well, this that, that sucks. <laughs> I'm like, it does. But until they have a system in place where it's not so subjective by just the player safety personnel, that's how it's going to be. Yeah, and it's, you know, the, the Department of Safety, Player safety in general has guidelines that they have to to work under under the CBA, and, and it almost just seems like everything here just needs to kind of be stripped down and and reworked from the ground up. It it's just a lot of issues with it. Nobody really knows what goes into it. You know, this is the first time I heard about them uh, considering player safety and injuries after they decided the hit was suspendable. I mean, that's something I think everybody should know beforehand. I mean, I think it would save a lot of arguments and a lot of mm-hmm. discussion if that was something that, and maybe that's just lack of research for me, Or, but I think if I asked a majority of people, I think most of them probably wouldn't know that they consider that after uh, and not all in, in the beginning when they're deciding if the hit is suspendable or not. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of issues with it right now. We've seen it, especially in, in the last couple of weeks, and, and it's come to forefront with the Coglano decision, um, the lack of decision on Giordano and Brown, and, and it's really everybody has been involved in it. It's not just Ducks fans. It's not just Kings fans. It's everybody. It's, it's you know, like you said, Bob McKenzie, Ray Ferraro, Ducks fans, Kings fans, hockey fans in general, and everybody's kind of been involved in this discussion. Uh, and if this doesn't spark change or, or bring up discussions at the GM meetings or, or anything like that, then I don't know what will. I, I mean, this is this is pretty bad the way it's been handled this last couple of weeks. Um, and if this doesn't change anything, uh, the, they're going to be in for the long haul. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, they do have some guidelines and rules already set up in place, but they definitely just need to be reworked. <laughs> Um, so with, with that, we'll kind of move on from all that. Uh, like I said, if you want to hear even more detail on it, we talked about it on the last podcast. We were pretty uh, upset about it you know, then, and we're still upset about it now, especially with Brown getting away with a, a fine of $2, basically, is the way I look at it, because it doesn't cost these guys that much money compared to what they're making. So uh, we can kind of look forward here to the Ducks. They, they play in the Sharks, another big uh, Pacific Division game. If you look at the way that the standings are for the Ducks now, um, you know they're they're in the battle, Eddie. They're got that fifty three points. They're tied with like a bazillion other teams, but they're behind San Jose. They're behind Calgary, and you know they're they're tied with the Kings. But they also have games um, to make up. The other all the other teams have games in hand. So 
you've got the Sharks. This first game is going to be big. Of course, then you've got New York and Winnipeg this week. But how important do you think it is? You know, the Ducks, they got to get a regulation win against the Sharks. They've played them twice, and they've gone into shootouts. So they really need these two points, Eddie. And hopefully the Sharks get none in this game. Yeah, it, it's a dangerous game for the Ducks if they're going to try and get in the wild card spot. Pretty much every team in the Central Division, except for really Chicago, but even they're still in it, um, are all eligible to, to make the playoffs this year. The Central Division is just insane in how good they are. Pretty much every team is somewhat of a contender. So the Ducks are going to have to get these these points against the Pacific Division rivals in San Jose tonight, like you said. you know, Going in and winning this game in regulation, not handing any points to San Jose, who does have two games in hand on the Ducks, is extremely important. And, and I think if the Ducks are going to make the playoffs... I think it's going to have to be one of the top three spots in the Pacific Division. Uh, I just think teams in the Central specifically are just too good, and and there's probably going to be five Central Division teams in the playoffs this year, barring any team cooling off or or anything like that. I mean, you look at the top three in the Central right now. You've got Nashville and Winnipeg, who seem to be the top two and are going to continue to be for the rest of the season. And you've got St. Louis sitting on 59 points on the bubble. You've got Dallas right behind them with 58 in a game in hand. Colorado's won nine games in a row, and they're sitting in the second wild card spot right now. And then Minnesota's right there, tied with them with 55 points. I mean, it's going to be tough for the Ducks to get in and, and make a difference in the wild card and, and really push any of those teams out. So, you know, you've got uh, the you had the two games against LA. You picked up points in regulation in, in both of those. You've got San Jose coming up tonight, and that's a huge game to make up ground on them. You know, if the Ducks beat them tonight, they move into one point behind them, and San Jose does still have two games in hand, but you pick up a, a big two points. Yeah, and if you look at this, uh, you know, division, it, it's really crazy now. The Kings have kind of slipped a little bit. Uh, the Flames are on a roll. Uh, that was one of our fan questions from Nikki. He asked, you know, are the Flames for real? Are they going to make the playoffs? Uh, I think the Flames are going to make the playoffs. Though, I mean, the way that they're playing now, they're they're up there. I think that they can push for that second or third spot. So. Like you said, I agree. I, I don't want to see the Ducks get in as just a wild card. I'd like them to get uh, somewhere in those top three. I, I don't think they're going to catch Vegas. I mean, who knows? They could, but Vegas is, you know, they've surprised everybody, including us. We didn't think they were going to be as great as they are so far. But they're kind of running away with the division right now. Uh, you know, their lead has been around 10, 10 points, give or take, sometimes eight. But they're up there. I mean, it's not insurmountable. But, um, you know, Calgary's making a big push. I, I think that if the Ducks can get in those those three spots, will be huge. But I like you talked about, too, uh, Colorado being hot. I, th- I think they're for real. I think the Flames are for real. I think it's going to be tough. And if the Ducks um, squeak in at one of those wild card spots, I don't know how far they go in the playoffs, Eddie, because some of these other teams are really on a roll right now. Yeah, and, you know, you would like to... You know, if you get in a wild card spot, you would like to say that it would be easy to face a team like Vegas, who doesn't have a lot of playoff experience, at least with the players on their team, um, and and the franchise in general obviously has no playoff experience. But you know, they're a tough team. They surprised everybody going in and playing in Vegas. You know, obviously, if you were in the wild card spot, you'd be playing four games at the, at most in Vegas, and they're almost unbeatable there. So. I think it would be hard, and then you look at the other side, you'd most likely be playing Nashville, and, and that's a, you know, a very hard arena to go in and play, especially in the playoffs, and, and we all have memories of that uh, for sure. So, yeah, I, I mean, the wild card definitely isn't the desirable situation. Uh, obviously, we would love to get into the playoffs, but 
it's not an easy road. It's it's very difficult this year, especially the position the Ducks find themselves in right now. Obviously, winning those last two games helps. Uh, I mean, you lose one of those, especially the one against the Kings, you're you're a lot farther back than you'd like to be. So, uh, but it's going to be difficult. Like you said, Colorado's for real. They've won nine games in a row. They're starting to heat up. Dallas is starting to heat up and, and be the team everybody expected them to be. And, and then you've got a fight with San Jose. Calgary and LA and even though LA's lost six in a row they still are tied with the Ducks on points and, and have a game in hand so it, it's not going to be easy and and whether that you know the Ducks improve at the deadline or not they're, they're going to have to make a big push and go on a streak of their own yeah and speaking of the deadline we got a lot of fan questions about that we had one uh, from Zach he asked you know do you think that the Ducks will be buyers or sellers at the deadline and uh, I'll throw it over to you, Eddie. I I don't really see them being much of either. But what do you think? Do you think the Ducks are going to try to uh, to drop anybody, or do you think they're going to try to get anybody, or or just some maybe minor moves? They don't really have anybody that um, they would, I guess, consider selling. Usually, you would sell on UFAs you don't think you could bring back that you could get value for. Uh, you look at the Ducks UFAs they've got for Matt Brown, Bull, uh, Grant, Wagner. Ocean and BX. I mean, you're not going to get much, if anything, for those guys. And I think if the Ducks are going to make a playoff push, they're going to keep those guys around. So, no matter what position they're in, I don't see them as sellers. Um, as for buyers, and we've talked about this on pretty much the last three uh, on guys like Patretti, Hoffman, Duclair before he got traded. You know, there's a lot of names out there. I still don't believe the Ducks are going to go big and, and make the big push for a guy like Kane or Patretti. Or Hoffman, I think the price is too high. You know, the Ducks historically don't really trade away first-round picks. Uh, they don't really have a lot of assets left after the Henrik trade to really go out and, and bring in a guy like that. You know, you have obviously prospects like Sam Steele, Max Jones, Jacob Larson. You know, I don't know if the Ducks are willing to give those guys up or not. I think if any deal is made, it, it's similar to the one you know we've seen in the past, bringing in a guy like Patrick Eves. Didn't cost them too much. Came in and, and played well. I, I think those are the types of deals you see. You know, we'll get into it into it in in a bit. But there's a couple of names I think the Ducks could look at if they're they're going to go in and get that bargain guy who could come in and, and play a big role. Yeah, and, and talking about like these free uh, agents and whatnot. You know, as far as buyers and sellers and whatnot. You know, Chase asks us a related question to that. He he talks about the Ducks free agents and who will they keep? Who will they not? You know, uh, get rid of come this trade deadline. You, and you talked about it a little bit. Uh, we can kind of look at the ones that are coming up next season. Uh, the the interesting ones probably are Vermette and Brown. I think Eddie are the the two biggest as far as the forwards. We don't know. Obviously, the Ducks just got Brown. Um, Vermette they've had and of course he's playing in that center role now on the fourth line but he's also done it on the third line and then we've also seen him sometimes on the first line so I think the Ducks maybe bring back one of those two you have Bull which uh, of course everybody loves Bull which is he's going to come back which probably not um, then you've also got Richie and Kase that are RFAs most likely they'll stay uh, I, I see Grant is another UFA staying Liambus probably goes and then you've got Wagner which I'm pretty sure they're going to keep Wagner so in terms of the forwards I kind of think that's the breakdown, Eddie. I don't really see the Ducks, like you mentioned, selling too much of these uh, players. I, I just don't see that happening. I, I think the only other issue comes up with um, yeah, Bieksa and Boschman on defense as UFAs. Boschman, you and I talked about it. Maybe he retires at the end of the season. Uh, Bieksa, maybe the Ducks bring him back. But if they do, please, dear God, don't do it at $4 million. Um, that's the only thing I, I would hope if they do uh, bring him back. I, I don't know if they will. But... 
I think the biggest question marks will be um, Bieksa, Vermette, and Brown, Eddie. Uh, the rest, I think, are pretty cut and dry. Yeah, um, I think one thing you have to consider when you look at if the Ducks are going to bring guys back next year is, is for one, Manson's contract extension kicks in. He goes from making 825000 to $4.1 uh, So that hampers uh, the Ducks' decision to bring anybody back. And, and then uh, Fowler goes from making $4 million to two and a, uh, to $6.5 So you've got mm-hmm. around $6 million extra being out, added onto the Ducks' cap hit next season. And uh, then obviously you've got BX's four coming off, so it it does kind of work out. Obviously BX does not come back for around four million. I think if he came back, it would be for like I wouldn't bring him back at all. But if he came back, it'd be for like one, one and a half, two, somewhere around there. I would hope nothing higher than that. Um, Boschman, I honestly think he might retire at the end of the season. I don't see the Ducks really bringing him back, especially if guys like Jakob Larson or Andy Belinsky, Jacob Magna are ready to take a step forward next season. Uh, that kind of goes in the same boat with BX as well. Maybe they decide to pro- promote a younger defenseman and bring them up or, or go into the free agency and, and get a better guy that can contribute to, to the lineup other than BX. So. Uh, when it comes to forward, again, I think you have to take into consideration the fact, again, that the Ducks are adding in cap space with some contract extensions next year. So with Vermette, you know, he's a serviceable fourth liner. Uh, do the Ducks consider bringing him back for 1.75 or, or more or less? I, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't love his contribution to the team. I, I think he, he plays a role. He wins face-offs, and that's pretty much it. You, you know, you can't expect too much more, I guess, from a fourth liner, but... No, I think that's the one that could be up in the air. JT Brown as well. You know, I think it depends on one how he, you know, how he produces and how he plays going towards the end of the season. I don't think there's a lot going for him if he's going to come back or not. I, I think it's more of just, a, you know, I mean, he was claimed off waivers. Uh, I don't really think he's going to be re-signed. Uh, more of a depth move for the the rest of the season. Uh, same kind of goes for Bull and Grant. Uh, again, it's fifty fifty when it comes to them. Bull seems to be a, a favorite <laughs> of Randy Carlisle, so maybe there's a more to him coming back uh, if he decides to. Derek Grant, obviously, like we all expected, has cooled down since everybody's come back and, and got healthy, so you know you never know if he's going to come back or not. He's been in and out of the lineup. Uh, and then you know come down to the last year fate here and, and Chris Wagner, I think you know more, more likely than not, he will be back and part of the Ducks next year. I think that's one of the easiest decisions to make. Most likely we'll get a raise. He's only making $637,000, so he's probably going to get around one, one and a half, and, and I think he, he deserves it the way he's played for the Ducks this season. Uh, I mean, been a threat on the penalty kill shorthanded uh, and just been a very good player for the Ducks this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you exactly on all counts, and I think you know part of the thing that throws a wrench in this too, Eddie, and we won't know is Patrick Eves. You know, he signed with the Ducks for a couple more seasons. Literally, no update other than when you all saw the video of him coming back to the Honda Center um, just to visit, not to actually participate. So that kind of throws a wrench. If he was able to come back, maybe that would change some things this this trade deadline. But as far as the Ducks making any moves, I, I really think if they're going to pull any any big player names, I I just don't see them doing it. Um, you know, like we talked about the lineup, the way the offense is going right now, minus Corey Perry, the offense looks really good. And obviously you're not going to trade him or move him around. So, I mean, you're kind of stuck. So 
I don't see a whole lot. I mean, unless the Ducks want to go down into the minors like you and I talked about, you got, you know, um, Steele and Jones and Larson, those kind of guys that you want want to take out as being uh, the seller type aspect and going for a bigger name player. Maybe the Ducks do that. I, you know, I don't know. But I don't really see him doing a whole lot, Eddie. Maybe they try to pick up another defenseman somewhere in there. But uh, the way the lineup looks now, I don't see any significant changes um, come this trade deadline. Yeah, and I think a lot of the decision, if you're going to go after a guy like Pacioretty or, or Hoffman, guys who have more than just this year left on their contract, I think a lot of that has to deal with the the health of Patrick Eves and if he'd be back next season. I mean, let's hypothetically say he he's back next season uh, and everybody is still here. You know, you've got Getzlaff, Perry, Raquel on line one. You've got the Kessler uh, line on line two. And if, if Henry, Gritchie, and Kasher are still together... You've got that in the third line, and then you've got Patrick Eves. Obviously, won't be playing on fourth line, but that's uh, I'm just you know setting up lineups. You've got Patrick Eves, Wagner, um, and then whoever decides to come back. I mean, those guys aren't fourth liners. Uh, at least Patrick Eves isn't. And then if you bring in a guy like Pacioretty, you know, then you've got Richie maybe going on the fourth line, Cash going on the fourth line. You no, know, it's it's a lot of depth for sure. But you've guys you've got guys playing on the fourth line who don't necessarily deserve to be playing on the fourth line. And, and that doesn't mean that the Ducks shouldn't go after a guy like Pacioretty or um, or Hoffman or any guys like that. But I think you do have to take into consideration if Eves is healthy next year, you've got guys playing down in the lineup that should be playing up higher. Um, whether the Ducks go and make a move at all, I think, again, I talked about it could be a depth move like when they acquired Patrick Eves. Uh, a couple names I, I saw lately and, and that I looked into, uh, Michael Grabner is one. Uh, he's kind of having a Cy Young season in, with the Rangers where he's got 20 goals and four assists. Um, somebody had brought it up to me on Twitter as well. I had just put his name out there. It kind of came to mind, and, and somebody put out that he has an unsustainable shooting percentage. So I went and looked, and yeah, he's shooting at 19.2% this year. So I don't know if he's going to sustain that. He's been shooting at a high shooting percentage the last two seasons with the Rangers, so you never know. But um, And they had compared him to Hagelin as well, and they, they play a similar style of game. So, you know, would he succeed in Anaheim? I don't know. Um, I think he's a guy you could get relatively cheap, doesn't have a high cap hit. You know, maybe you take the chance if you can get him for a third-round pick or, or something in, in that nature. Um, you know, I don't know if the Ducks decide to go that way or not. Uh, another name that had come up is from the Vancouver Canucks and Thomas Vanek. Uh, we've talked about him before, especially in free agency this summer, if he was mm-hmm. a guy that could come to Anaheim or not. He's had an okay season with Vancouver, 32 points in, in 46 games. Uh, Vancouver had started really well, as we all remember, and now they've kind of tailed off and are definitely going to be looking to sell guys like this off. Uh, whether they sell in the same division or not, or if the Ducks are looking to go after him, that's an option. Can play on the left or the right, so that provides some options there if the Ducks want to go out and look for a depth guy. Um, another another guy, this time on defense, that uh, Jake had brought up to me on Twitter, or he had actually tweeted it out, and I had replied to it. Um, it was Nikos Jarmelson. Uh, defense possibly coming over from Arizona as a guy that could fill in a spot on that bottom pairing where Boschman or Bieksa are. I think that would be an interesting one. You know, he's a three-time cup winner with Chicago, so that would be uh, interesting to see if he can uh, come in and be successful with the Ducks. I think it would be an upgrade on Boschman or Bieksa. Whether the coaching staff decides to bump out Bieksa or Boschman permanently to bring in a guy like Jamelson would be interesting to see. I'm not sure... If it's something to do, obviously Boschman and BX have been scratches at times, uh, but you know they played the majority of the time earlier this season. 
because of injuries to players and they weren't really scratched so I don't know if that works out or not and then the last name I think was a little bit interesting I saw an article this week uh, from the Rangers is is Matt Zuccarello uh, you know he's got this year and next year left on his contract uh, a name that they had been rumored to maybe be available I don't know if the Rangers decide trading him or not um, he would obviously bring more of what uh, sorry more in return of what you'd be looking in in a guy like Matt Pacioretty or or Hoffman or Vander Kane you know he'd bring in have to you'd have to give up more to get a guy like him but that's another name the Ducks could look for if they're looking to bring in a guy uh, to put into their top six. You know, and it's, it's a tough situation, Eddie. Uh, you know, one of the other fan questions we had is from Ricky asked about, you know, the Ducks' performance, you know, good and bad and what needs improvement. And, and to me, really, it, you look at the forward situation, especially now with uh, Kasha, Henrique, and, and Richie uh, doing well in that third line, I, I don't, unfortunately, I don't see a lot of room for improvement on offense other than, like I mentioned, Corey Perry. And there's nothing you're going to do with him. You're not going to bench him. You're not going to put him on the fourth line. I mean, you've got the second and third lines together. So the Ducks are kind of stuck. I think as far as the offense, I, I, I wish Perry would just get back to you know scoring some goals. He's only got you know seven goals in just over thirty something games. Um, you know, last season he had nineteen, so he's kind of around that same area. He might not even get twenty again this year, which is kind of unfortunate. And I think you and I talked about it. it's not so much just that he's not uh, producing as much, but he's getting paid so much as well, which kind of makes that a factor. So I don't know if the Ducks will really need to improve so much on the forward situation i like some of the names that you threw out there and i think uh we've talked about them before like you said manic is one of them that we've mentioned and maybe some other depth person that they can put in there and fit in I i'm kind of more interested to see the yarmelson type situation because we had another fan talk about um bx and boschman alex asked you know they're in the lineup every night you know are any made uh, moves going to be made in, in regards to this and i think to me if I had to pick between the two, I would I would like that kind of move because yeah, uh, BX and Boachman every in every night. You know, some nights they're okay. We saw, saw the game against the Kings, not so bad. Uh, you know, games like Colorado are like okay. You know, here we go. So it, it depends on the Ducks' opponent. It seems like uh, how BX and, and Boachman will do. So I would like that as far as upgrade. If the Ducks are to, if there's one area like if I had to pick, hey, if the Ducks could only make one move and upgrade. That's where I would go. I would try to get someone like Yarmolson and put him in there on defense. That's that's just my opinion uh, with the way this team is now. It was a little bit different a, a couple weeks ago when you and I talked because um, we didn't know how uh, Kase was going to fit in. And then when he came back, he's continuing to be on fire and that third line's doing really good now. So if the Ducks do make one move, that's what I'd like them to do, Eddie. Again, I'm not sure that they do anything, but um, that's where I see the, the at least the biggest weakness on this team is the uh, the third line deep pairing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you mentioned Kasha coming in and, and playing so well, and now you've got three lines and, and bringing in a forward. It's, it's kind of like where do they slot in, and who do you take out? You know, we you don't really want to put Corey Perry on the fourth line if you bring in it in a forward to play in that top line with Getzlaff and Raquel. And the Kessel line almost, is almost pretty much always going to be together. And now with the production of Henrik, Richie, and Kasha, there's nowhere really for a forward to, to fit in. I mean, you can work a guy in if you want. But, yeah, I, I think props to, to Jake for bringing up the discussion. I don't think I ever would have thought of Jarmelson being a guy the Ducks would have brought in. But, you know, it, it, the more you look at it, the more it makes sense. Uh, I mean, he's a left-shot defenseman who can play on the off pair. You know, he did it in Chicago when he played with Duncan Keith. He, you know, he could do that and come in and, and maybe play on the right side with Cam Fowler. He could play on the left side down with BX if they wanted to. He could play on the left side with Montour. So there's a lot of options you can slot him in and out of the of the D pairings, and, and I think it would be a good option for the Ducks to bring in. You know, there's been a glaring hole 
on that bottom pairing since Sammy Votnin left. And a lot of times we see Boschman and BX paired together. We see Montour kind of brought down from being paired with Boschman or BX, and it's hurt his play a little bit. So, yeah, I think it would be a great option if the Ducks can work it out. I don't think it would be too expensive. I'm sure he would like to move on from being in Arizona. I mean, after winning Cups in Chicago, <laughs> you go from playing there and playing with the arguably the worst team in the National Hockey League. So I think he would benefit from moving into a different situation and playing with the Ducks. Yeah, and, that, and that's the player that I, I'm going to keep my eyes on in this next couple of weeks leading up to the trade deadline to see, um, even if he doesn't go to the Ducks, like you said, maybe he gets moved to another team. So that's definitely a player you know to keep your eye on and see what happens with him. Uh, as far as the Ducks go, uh, you know they're, they're still rolling. Like we said, they're still in the mix here. Uh, we pretty much answered most of the fan questions. Um, we did have one about Carlson. I think you and I covered that too, though. I, you know, I don't know if the Ducks are going to, if they really want to add on defense. Uh, definitely Carlson is another name out there. But I think uh, the problem with adding him, Eddie, is at what cost. Uh, you and I talked about this. I mean, you're really going to have to dig deep. You're probably talking about draft picks. You know that Murray's not big on first-round draft picks, and you know I don't know if he's going to give up any of the players in the current lineup now. So, of course, if they were to add on defense, would that be like one of the best things? Of course, it would be. But in all reality, I think that one's a hard sell, Eddie, in terms of what the Ducks can offer to even be in that race if they do end up trading him. Yeah, and, and one thing you have to look at when you're, you're speaking of trading for Eric Carlson as well is, is the Ducks would not be able to resign him at the money he'd be looking for, and you'd be arguing trading the world for a guy who's going to be with you for a year and a half and and i mean if it if it was the ducks you know if the ducks traded for him and they end up winning then it's worth it but if you end up losing and you know you don't win the stanley cup and and he ends up moving on to a different team which would more than likely happen you know you've given up probably a first round pick maybe a guy like sam Steele, max jones jacob larson you'd be giving up a ton to bring in arguably the best defenseman in the nhl and not win you know, the, you never know. And I don't think it's a move the Ducks make. I think it would be insane. Um, do I think he's traded at the deadline? There's a possibility. I, you know, I think eventually he moves on from Ottawa. Um, it's an interesting situation to see develop. Rarely do you see a player of his caliber get moved. But it's something we've seen more often in the NHL lately. I mean, the, last year it was, it was Stamkos, and if he was going to get moved anywhere, now it's Carlson. John Tavares' name is still brought up because he hasn't signed a contract with the Islanders yet. It's crazy to see all these big names and, and superstars rumored to be moving on from different teams. And uh, I mean, I don't think the Ducks are in on Carlson, but it'll be an interesting situation to follow and see how it develops. Yeah, he's another player definitely to keep your eye on come this trade deadline, see where he lands. But I highly doubt that he's going to come over to Anaheim. So uh, with that, that's that's all the fan questions uh, that we have time for. We wrapped up. Uh, pretty good uh, questions from all of you out there. A lot of stuff about the Ducks and the performance and the concerns about the playoffs. You know, a, a lot of uh, big things coming up in the next couple of weeks, obviously, with the trade deadline. The Ducks are in the battle for it. You know, Vegas is out up in front. Then, of course, L.A., uh, Calgary. And the Ducks trying to fight it out, and then of course San Jose as well, who they're going to play tonight. So it's going to be um, it's going to be fun times. I think every game is pretty much going to be a playoff type game, Eddie, for the Ducks, especially those against the division opponents where they need those two points in regulation. But they're also going to play uh, New York and Winnipeg, uh, Eddie, and all these games are important. What do you think as far as the Ducks' chances and picking up points in those two games? Yeah, I mean they're they're interesting matchups. Uh, I think the the game against the Rangers is going to be tough here. It's always tough facing Lundqvist, and I think he's been a real reason they've actually been relevant this year. They they haven't been that great. 
but it's tough. We've seen it from from the Ducks playing the Rangers this year in Lundqvist. It's been a problem for them, so uh, it's going to be a tough matchup for that one. And, and then when you go in and you play Winnipeg, I mean, they've been a huge surprise this year on how well they've been doing. And, and even with Mark Shifley out of the lineup, guys like Blake Wheeler and obviously Patrick Laine and um, Kyle Connor have stepped up and, and done very well for them. So that's going to be a tough matchup to, to play against. And, and Connor Hellebuck in net for them has been very good the entire season. So they're going to be two tough matchups. And, and you know, obviously it starts tonight with the game against San Jose, and, and that's huge for the Ducks to, to get points in the standings. But you know, these are all home games, and with the Ducks just being so close in the standings right now, every point is important. So if, you know, if they're going to make a push, they're going to have to either win all these games or at least get some points out of them because you, know, you, you start losing games and you're going to fall behind some of these teams that are on a roll right now. Yeah, definitely. And with the Ducks, you know, uh, having played a couple more games than all, most of their uh, division opponents, it's, it's huge uh, with these games coming up. Um, with that, we're going to wrap up the show. Uh, you know, check out the shirts on tpnhockey.com. I know the uh, Anaheim Against the World shirts have been super popular last week. Uh, I'm not really sure why uh, with the player safety calls going all in the Ducks' favor. Haha, ha, not. But um, check it out. A lot of the shirts are on sale there. Uh, uh, five bucks for most of them. Um, so look at that. We'll also uh, have a watch party maybe sometime in February we're looking at. I uh, haven't figured that out yet, but the last one against the Kings was a, was a wild success. So we'll look to have another one here coming up shortly and uh, another podcast in about a week or so. So with that, we'll see you in about a week. Let's go Ducks.